Good morning and welcome to Crosstown in our series called See, as we're learning more about the Christmas story. Um, hey, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about our Christmas Eve services that will be coming up. We're supposed to get packed with rain, so keep an eye on the weather report, four to seven inches over the next two days. So just check our website, we'll let you know how four to seven inches affect us, and we'll post it up there, but otherwise, we'll have a two o'clock service, we'll have a four o'clock service, and a six o'clock service. Then the following weekend, we'll only have a 9.15 service. Um, we'll probably be getting over whatever that, how that game turns out between Clemson and Ohio State. I see a man here with an Ohio State jacket on, Guys, give him a lot of love, would you? We'll just give him a little love today. Welcome to Crosstown. I hope you get to your car okay. Um, but, you know, we, we've been talking about this idea of seeing, and, and what we mean by seeing is that um, a lot of us look at the Christmas story, and for a lot of different reasons, we just don't see what's going on. Um, we become a really a part of the season, we get busy, we get overwhelmed, and we hear the, the story that's so familiar to us, but sometimes we just don't see it. We don't have what we would call like an epiphany, that while we're looking at the story, this, this moment of eureka or an aha moment any longer that affects the destiny of our lives. We're so familiar with the, the part about the shepherds that come and the way Jesus was delivered and, and about the kings arriving and even what they have in their hands and the gifts that they give. We're, we're so familiar with it that it's possible that we no longer have this aha moment. It, it kind of loses its ability to see what's going on and, and, and we're just not seeing it anymore. And I don't know, it could, it could be brought on by it being over-familiar. It could be brought on by maybe some of the dialogue is too um, unbelievable. Um, maybe it's the busyness of what we're doing in this season that just keeps us from seeing. So over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at people in the story that had a hard time seeing also. That you can be in the middle of a God story and not see what God is doing. And I think that's a big problem with most people. Most people's objection to Christianity is not based in science. No longer is there scientific evidence uh, that says that the universe doesn't need a God or that there isn't a God that exists. But rather, what, what people object to the idea of God is that in the middle of the suffering and the pain that so many of us have or we see around us, we have a hard time seeing through it all, and seeing this incredible God. So we're going to continue to talk about what is the big C in the Christmas story. There isn't a lot in the scriptures about Jesus after he is born. I mean, we don't, we don't get a lot of um, stuff that tells us. We don't know who he took to the prom. We don't know what sports he was involved in. We, we really don't have any idea about you know, that period between his birth and, and when he becomes an adult and gets involved in his ministry. 
Um, there's been a lot of mythological ideas that have been thrown around about Jesus. And, and the Christmas story has a lot of myth built into it. Things that are really not technically right or, or, or biblical. And, you know, we've talked about a couple of those. We don't know if there were three wise men or five wise men. But, you know, and, and then, you know, that they show up two years afterwards. And, and so we, we don't, some of the story, this big giant star that's like burning down into Bethlehem. And, you know, that's just hanging over there. You know, that's not really what the scripture says. But we've, we kind of get some stuff in our minds. Well... We developed some myth around Jesus and about him as a child. And I love one of them. Uh, Ted Ashley here at Crosstown kind of pointed this out to me when we were talking about myth. He pointed out one of the common Christmas songs that has a little bit of mythology in it that actually became a conversation among theologians. You know, Away in the Manger, you, you've heard it a thousand times, and I'm not going to try to sing it to you. I'm just, away, okay. Away in a Manger. No crib for, a, for his bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay, and the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Now you just think, well, he's just looking for words that rhyme. The person that wrote this story had this idea that Jesus as a baby, because he is truly God and truly man, must not behave like a regular baby. That if Jesus was crying, that means he was being selfish because he wanted to be fed and Jesus wasn't selfish. You know, a lot of people have even thrown around the idea that, you know, that Jesus didn't need to wear diapers as a baby. You know, it's like the Son of God didn't go through normal life. And I, I know you may think this is kind of crazy, but it's even built into our songs that there's no way Jesus cried because Jesus was the perfect baby, and, and perfect babies don't cry or don't complain or, or anything like that. And we create this mythology about Jesus. Then, then it's, it's interesting, within 200 years after the completion of the Gospels, there's some myths that begin to arise in these false gospels about Jesus as a young boy and even as a baby. One of the myths was is that he was in a home ec class and he made, everybody was making these clay birds. And, but in order to show up his classmates, he blew into the clay birds and they flew away. I mean, and it's like, there's nothing in the scriptures about that, but People just kind of like, well, Jesus must have been so different as a child. There's one that um, comes out of the Epiphany, the epiphany of St. Thomas, and it's, it's, again, it's one of those fake books that were written, that a boy bumps into Jesus, Jesus drops something and it breaks, and as a result of it, Jesus turns him into a corpse and then blinds the boy's mother and father because he bumped into him. Oh, and the other myth that I think is absolutely um, hilarious, but Jesus is kind of like an infant baby Yoda. If you're into the Mandalorian, you've seen baby Yoda. He's just absolutely precious. But baby Yoda's got certain powers that he can do. Well, apparently, while Jesus and Mary and Joseph were on their way to Egypt, which is in the Bible, they, were, they stopped and rested at a cave and while they were at the cave, they didn't realize that there was about five dragons inside the cave. 
the dragons came out and the baby Jesus instantly began to walk and fended off the dragons with fire. You know, you're just like, wow, where did all this stuff come from? Where, where does it, you know, why do we make things up like this? And I, I think it's because sometimes we want something uh, we wish was real. We want a God that does certain things that we want him to do, that he behaves a certain way that we think God should behave. So we want to see a certain kind of God. Other times we, we don't want to see what the real God is like, and so we feel we need to turn it into something else. So I think all of us kind of had to have this predilection. We have this inclination in all of us to kind of use that, that part of our eye, our seeing that we talked about last week, that we decide that if we're going to see God, he's going to do this, and he's going to say that, and that's what we look for. And a lot of times in the Christmas story, that's not what we see. But there's another point in the life of Jesus as a young boy that is validated by Scripture and we hold to be completely true by all the witnesses that knew Mary and Joseph and knew the gospel writers. And it may be a little interesting that I'm using this story at Christmas, but it's still part of the boyhood uh, part of Jesus' life. He's grown up to about the age of 12, we're told. And it's, it's hard to imagine Jesus at the age of 12. If you've ever been a 12-year-old boy, you just, I mean, I'm 60 and I can still remember what I was like at the age of 12. If you've ever raised a 12-year-old boy, you have a pretty good idea what goes on in a 12-year-old boy. There's no reason to think that Jesus didn't do what 12-year-old boys do. But I want you to see something that happens in his life that, that did take place in a 12-year-old boy because I think it speaks to all of us, whether we're 12 or whether we're 60, I think there's something that emerges out of the life of Jesus that we all need to see and we need to see happen in our lives. So let me read to you Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, at the, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, but supposing him to be in, a gr in the group, they went a day's journey, but then began to uh, search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and they did not find him, so they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now, I know we have a hard time even imagining that a parent would do this today, that you would go a whole day's journey and not notice that you don't have your 12-year-old boy. Now, some of you may wish you could take a day's journey without your 12-year-old boy, but um, it's, it's interesting, but they were more kind of uh, family-oriented. They traveled with relatives. They traveled kind of like a, a tribe. They, they moved together, and I grew up in this kind of atmosphere that you know, there were like hundreds of, of cousins, and we all just did things together for the weekend, and our parents wouldn't see us for one or two days. 
But so they begin searching for him because he remains behind. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. We only have speculation into the development of Jesus as an adult. We know that he makes statements as an adult through his miracles and through his mission that communicate us something about him being truly God and truly man. And you've probably heard that before, that he is incarnation, that he is God in the flesh. Now, there has been a lot written and a lot said and a lot debated on this issue. And we're not going to go on talk about how that could all take place. But we do know that there's a part of him that is truly human, and there's a part of him that's truly God. So we could speculate about how that happens. But we can also speculate, when does Jesus know this? That's an interesting conversation. When does Jesus become aware of it? Now, we could mythicize it, and we could say that Jesus as an infant had the intellect of a 60-year-old or a 70-year-old man was fully aware and had all the skills of language. I don't think that's, the Bible doesn't back that up. That Jesus was growing and learning just like all other 12-year-old boys. But there must have been some point that he came to an awareness of of who he was in his life. And it seems to be about at the age of 12, he begins to become aware of this idea. So we don't know what, how it happens, but we do know that he began to see something about his life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, is what did Jesus say, see about his life, and what should we be seeing about our lives? He's not trying to be difficult to his parents. And he's, he's not trying to be insolent, you know? He's, he's not trying to condescend to them or just be rude to them. Because when you read it, you know, it's like, son, what have you been doing? I can't believe you've been doing this to us. You know, and he comes back, I need to be in your father's house. I have to be honest with you, I would have gotten backhanded for an answer like that. You know, Pop would have been, don't mouth off to me with your divinity, you know? He, he would have been, don't give me that, you know? He, he, would, have, he would have backhanded me. But Jesus is not being rude to his parents. What Jesus is doing is seeing. He is seeing that what he used to see as the first and most important thing in his life is not the first and most important thing anymore. He's beginning to see this new thing taking place in his life. He's seeing something. He may not have seen it earlier in his life, but this is a point where now he's seeing something. He sees himself as first as a child of God. 
There's no point in the gospel of, of Luke where Luke does not call Joseph and Mary Jesus' parents. He's got a set of parents. It's Mary and Jesus. And the thing is, is he's also the gospel writer that tells us about the virgin birth. He tells us about the miracle surrounding how Jesus came to be, but yet he still refers to Mary and Joseph as his parents. He understands that he's his parents. But, but what Jesus sees is something that's big, something bigger than fighting dragons or whatever idea what we think being godly looks like what it means to have the power of God in your life, what it means to be significant, whatever mythology that we create, whether we put it in an Iron Man suit, or we, we, we go with a Thor theme, or we go with um, a Hulk idea. You know, we try to create, this is what the ultimate man and woman look like, and, and this is what they look like when they're endued with power, and when they really see. But what we see at this particular moment, when Jesus becomes aware, what he sees is that he is a child of God first. And this is bigger than anything else. The big C of the Christmas story is that for all of us, that through our relationship with Christ, we can see something else first, that we're a beloved child of God. Now, let me just ask you that right now. Is that how you feel about yourself? Is that the first thing you see about yourself? You know, we're not becoming detached from reality and just pretending we don't, you know, there's not other parts of us, because we are many things. And we are other things first. I was Italian before I was a Christian. I was a Bostonian before I was, anything, I was a Southerner. We all have parents. We all have experiences. We all have habits and addictions. We all have successes and failures. We have these things, and, and for a lot of us, we had these things first. We had victimizations first, abuses upon our life or done through our lives. We've had genetics and psychology first. We've had, for a lot of us, philosophies about what the world's about and religious experiences. We were raised Catholic first or Baptist first or agnostic first. We have professions that we tend to think is the first thing about me is that I'm a pastor. Well, I'd like you to meet Paul, he's a pastor. It's like, why, why say that first? I want, to meet, want you to meet Greg over here. He's a doctor. You know, as if being a doctor is first. I want, to, want you to meet, you know, we, so a lot of us, what's first in our lives is our career distinction. For some of us, the fact that we've been through a divorce is the first thing you think about yourself. Yeah, I've been through a divorce. You know, and for some of us, the first thing that we think is that I'm an alcoholic. For a lot of us, we have other things that we were genuinely first. But there's a point, just like in the emergence of Jesus' life, there is a point when we should see that through Christ, we are something else. 
and that something else has prominence over all the other first things of our lives. You know, that there should be something, and this is what Jesus sees. He comes to a point, maybe about the age of 12, I don't know when. He knows this is Mary and Joseph. He knows that's his mom and dad. The gospel writer calls him the mo- his mom and dad, but then a new first emerges. And, and his parents are even, like, blown away by this new first. You know, Jesus all of a sudden says to him, like, hey, I'm in my father's house. This, this is a first for them as it becomes a revelation even to Christ. You know, you would have thought that Mary and Joseph would have known this. You know, it, it's, it's like, okay, you've had angels talk to you. You've had this miraculous birth, the star, the magi, the shepherds, um, the prophecies being fulfilled. You, you know, get chased into Egypt, you come back, and, you know, Herod gets killed, and, I mean, you've had a, a lot of stuff go on with this young man's life. You would think that the result of all this religious activity would add up to seeing something. I mean, I was raised in 12 years of parochial school. Nuns and priests and sacraments and altar boy stuff and you know if you you know what i'm talking about you know what it's like you would you would think after 12 years of that that it would add up to something that i would see something and it's like i i still don't see it i'm like for some reason all that activity and all that busyness and mary and joseph were no different i mean luke records the virgin birth he talks about the circumstances of the origins um it's not like we're getting this statement from a different gospel writer. Yet there is amazement and even confusion about Jesus' declaration. Luke 2:49, and he said to them, "Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house?" Jesus is like, "How did you not see this coming?" How did you not add up all this stuff that was going on and think that it was going to end differently? How do you not see this? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They just didn't get it. Now, I'm not being hard on Mary and Joseph. I think they're not so dissimilar from us. I mean, you can be immersed in the daily life of something and still not see it. You know, I mean, some of us have raised kids, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my goodness. You know, they're grown up now. I, I you know, I should have spent more time playing Legos. I, I should have sat and played video games. I, sh- I should have, you know, taken her out on dates, or, or I, sh- I should have been more at games. You know, you all of a sudden, you become to an awareness that's like, wow, I should have seen what was going on in front of me. And that happens to all of us. And it happened to them. It happens to me. I know that I believe in God. I, I, I know that he created the universe and can defend it intellectually. I know that he gave his son for me and that he rose from the dead and I can defend it historically. And that he sent his Holy Spirit to empower me, and I remember times when, when God has moved in my life, yet in the middle of it, I just, 
I lose sight of it. Sometimes I just don't see it. You know, and um, for me, it's sometimes it just becomes a religion. Um, maybe it just becomes a tradition. This is what we do at Christmas time. Um, maybe God just becomes a new law and a new form of legalism, or He just becomes something unattainable. But there are things in our lives that creep in that that sometimes we get they become first. You know, I'm I'm busy at work. That's first. I'm a busy mom, that's first. I'm a busy father, that's first. My education, that becomes first. And there's gonna be a point in our lives when something new occurs in our life where the very first is now, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, just think about that. I am a beloved child child of God. I know you've heard it a thousand times before, but can you let your heart actually see that? Imagine the Heavenly Father putting his arm around you, and he has two fishing poles in his hand, you know, and he takes you out into this little skiff. It's a little place where only he knows where, he's, where the fish are biting best. I mean, can you really see, and for some of you, you're getting pushback, and you're like, yeah, no, I, I struggle with too much porn. I, no, no, I, you know, I have, I've done people wrong. No, I, I've been divorced three times. And that other first tries to push itself forward. And Mary and Joseph could, even they couldn't understand that there's a greater first for all of our lives than what we think is first in our lives. See, we'll just, we'll just break down sociologically into our other first. You were born poor, we'll make that first. I was born rich, I'll make that my first. I was born black, I'll make that my first. I was born white, I'll make that my first. Male, female, we can, we can kind of make distinctions of firsts all day long. But the only way that we can unify not only as a society is that we have a new first. What is the new first? That I am a child of God. That you are a child of God. Not a divorcee. Not somebody who struggles in and out of smoking too much weed or, or you know, does things wrong in their life. That's not your first anymore if you're in Christ. I'll tell you another thing that will kind of make you forget is pain. And a lot of us have become familiar with pain. A lot of us have become familiar with depression. And it's just hard to see a new first when you hurt. And that's what the miracle of Christmas is all about. How can a, how can a man be God and God be a man at the same time? Jesus saw it. And then everybody else saw it in Jesus as he grew. How can you be 
an individual who's made the mistakes and had the failures or, or the sins or the compromise that you have, but yet be a child of God, but be a child of God who still wrestles with sin. How can you merge those two together? Whatever miracle made, the, made the, the God child the child God is the same miracle that helps us to realize that in the middle of our lives, there is a new first. You are the beloved child of God. That is the big C of Christmas. God wants you to see a new you. He wants you to see a new first about you. I want you to shove all those other firsts. Yeah, you're a doctor. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah, I want you to see. I got something bigger for you. What's bigger than that? Yeah, you're an alcoholic. Yeah, I know that's, that's big and you know, it's, it's maybe ruined your life, but no, nah, I got something better than that. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I know you're black. You know, I know you're white. I, I, know, I know you're male or female. I know, I know you may be even confused about some of that issue in your life. I got something bigger than confusion. It's like, what, what do you got? And, and God says, I want you to see you as a new first. I want a new preeminence in you. That, and here it is. You are my child. Paul said it in Ephesians 1. He said, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Or he could have said that you would see in your soul that he would give you the wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And, that, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you who believe according to the working of his great power. You know why I love this so much is not only because of the content that God is like, I want you to see not only me, God is saying, but God's saying, I want you to see you in a new way. You know, I want you to see you with hope. I want you to see you as a, an heir of all that I am and all that I have to give and of heaven itself and, 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 and of my presence. I want you to be empowered with the knowledge of seeing who you are. Because you got to admit, if all of us could really see this, I mean, if we could really drop it into our heads... That Jesus died on the cross, rose on the third day, so that you and I could really see what God has done, it would radically affect our lives. So the reality of God is not the problem. It's the quality of seeing that is the problem. We have a hard time just, it's like, really? I, you know, I was at the Patriots game, and... and and I F-bombed the guy. I'm just going to tell you. You know, he had a beer in his hand. He got in my face. He want, I, I'm standing next to the prettiest woman in the stadium. And he's kind of standing there looking at my wife. 
And he's like, I'm here. You know, I paid a lot for that seat. And I paid a lot for that seat. And, and it's like, yeah, I'm like, so, yeah, you're here? I mean, he's this close to my face. He's my age. He's kind of burly. He doesn't have bad discs, but I'm not letting him know mine are blown out. You know, I can play the part. He's like, please just don't hit me. But, you know, so he's just kind of like, um, you know, he's in my face. Yeah, yeah, I got to get to my seat. Well, I've been southernized by all you wonderful people. That's not how you get to your seat, right? No, you say, excuse me, sir, do you mind if I get past you when I get to my seat? See, you southernized me. And he said, I'm here. So I just told him, what the blank and blank the blank does that matter to me? Okay? When the Patriots got a bad call in the game and the whole stadium started yelling, bull something, bull something, bull something, my sweet heavenly wife is looking at me and I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, okay, and then the following week I'm standing up here. It's like, dude, how do you call yourself a Christian and stand up there because there is a greater first than my bad behavior, okay? There's a, better, there's a greater first than my genetics. There's a greater first than my psychology, as broken as it is. There's a greater first. I am a child of the living God. Messed up? Absolutely. Screwed up in a lot of areas? Yes. But that's not my first anymore. And you need to know it's not your first. And can I just add this just for a second? I'll, I'll end this real fast. Um, ladies particularly, there's a lot of dumb firsts a guy can present to you if you're married to them long enough. And you can stack up a lot of firsts against your husband. Can I encourage you to give your husband the gift of a new first? And he's a blooming idiot. He doesn't turn in his receipts. He doesn't have to spend money. You know, he just says dumb things. Doesn't mow the lawn. Okay? There are a lot of other firsts in his life. But could you grace him with a new first? Fathers, could you, could you grace your children and your wife with a new first? You know? Could you, could you give them that gift? Employers, people who have a hard time with racial interaction, I guarantee you, if you start giving people who are different than you a new first, everything changes. Everything changes. Even the guy holding the beer and he's in your face at the stadium. If I could go back, Instead of giving that guy a piece of my mind, I would have given him a new first. You know, and this is what God wants to give every single one of us. He wants us to see it. And what I, I got distracted. What I liked about this verse is that Paul says, hey, I've heard about your faith and all this other stuff and blah, 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 and I hear you're going to church now and I, and I heard that you're, you're giving tithes and that's great and I heard that you're involved in all that's going on. I, now I'm going to pray that you see something. And what, the reason why this is so interesting is it's just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you see this. 
Okay, he's writing to Christians and he's praying, I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. It's like, okay, since you believed, you have a faith story that, that you've, you've bought into. But now um, you need a first story. Paul says, you've got the faith story, now it's time for you to have a first story. And for each and every one of us, I think as Christians, that we need to realize we are children of God. We're not Protestant. We're not Catholic. You know, we're not Baptist first. We're child, children of God first. We're not stupid first. We may have been stupid first, but we're not, we're not that. You're not... Your divorce isn't the first thing about you. Your addiction's not the first thing about you. Your success, that's not the first thing about you. And Jesus discovered, while being in his father's house, through relationship with God, that there is a new first that all of us can discover. Paul said, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the first or the flesh. Even though we once regarded even Jesus or Christ according to the first, the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's a new first about you. Do I still have pain in my back? Yes, I still have pain in my back. Do I still have Italian parents? Yes, I still have Italian parents. Did I still rob that jewelry store when I was in college? Yes, I, I robbed that jewelry store when I was in Did I have a problem with cocaine? Yes, I had a problem with cocaine. Did I go through a divorce over 35 years ago? Yes, I went through a divorce 35. But I got a new first. I'm a beloved child of God. Everything else may be a part of the other first of my life, but there is now a preeminent first and it is being a child of God. So what does all this mean? I have a past, but it does not define me. I have wins and losses, I have hurts and pains, and I have successes and failures. I, I have a Mary and a Joseph, but something greater now defines me. There is now something greater than Mary and Joseph about my life. And that's what God wants to do. There's something greater in you than your Mary and Joseph story, your Catholic story, your Baptist story, your drug story, your divorce story. So as we enter into this moment, we call it expressions, but it's kind of like a moment when we each personally grab a hold of this idea and make it personally ours. Because you have to see. everyone, and, and a lot of you came to church because you're a part of the faith story or understanding or discovering the faith story. But for a lot of us, it's time for us to discover the first story. That I am first a child of God. The star's cool. The manger, the shepherds, all that stuff. I mean, that's, that's a really cool part of the story. Bethlehem and the kings, all great stuff. But the sea 
is Christ in me. That God is my Father. And God wants you to see that. So as we enter into prayer, as we enter into taking the bread and the cup, I want you to see that this is a transference of what Jesus knew in that temple. I am in my Father's house. I am a child of God. He is my Father. God wants to give that to you through His Son. Father, as we enter into this this moment, this, this moment that is every bit as holy as Bethlehem, help us see as we are in our Father's house, as we are here in the house of faith, today, Lord God, we set our hearts to see that you are our Father and I am your child, a new first. Let me invite you to have this moment with God.